Well, if you want to open your Bibles with me to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy 8. We're going to continue this uh, series on worship. And going to go a little bit out of order here, but I think it is important to complement or balance out the last message. So let's read Deuteronomy 8, starting in verse 6. Here, they're getting commands about what to do when they go into the land. So, So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in His ways and fearing Him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, fountains and springs, flowing out of the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, and a land whose stones are iron and out of, which, out of whose hills you can dig copper. You shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land that he has given you. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built houses, built good houses, and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Well, let's review here for a second before we jump in. I'm not going to go back over all that we've talked about, but at least what we talked about last week, we started to talk about what worship is according to the Bible and the very ultra-literal translation of the two words both in Hebrew and Greek that mean worship are bow and serve. So we talked about how that what that's what worship is. We're serving something, we're bowing before something that we all have something that is our ultimate god and whatever that god is, we worship it, we bow to it, we serve it. We are pouring our money, our time, our energy, our praise, our kids into something and that something is our God, and it's what we bow to, it's what we serve, it's what we worship, and is it God? And we talked about how we're either God worshipers or we're idolaters, and those are the only two options. We're either going to worship God or we're going to set something else in the place of God and worship that, even if it's ourself. We're st- we still become an idolater. Anything in God's place, anything that takes supreme worth in our life is our idol, is our God. And so, we're going to flush that out a little bit this morning and balance it out a little bit. Because we really only talked about one side of it, which is what I'm going to call worship by comparison. 
worship by comparison. And so what, what this message is, I'm trying to balance out what I said last week with the rest of the Bible. And even this morning, I was talking to one of the ladies, and she was saying, you know, I've been thinking about worship and thinking I'm about ready to you know, play this game. Is this pleasing to God? I'm about ready to eat this meal. I don't want to worship this meal. And it really brings up a good point is that our whole life, we're doing a lot of things, and they're not all reading the Bible, and they're not all praying. There's a lot of other things that God has filled our life with. How do we handle that? How do we worship in those situations? And so I'm going to set up these two categories. One, worship by comparison. And then the other is worship by recognition. So worship by comparison. What we're saying is that we have, just like we talked about last week, one ultimate God. One thing that we bow and we serve. One thing's our master. One thing we love above all else. And one way to know what that is is when there comes a time when you have to choose between two things. Does that make sense? So if you're wondering, yeah, what's my master? Is it this? Is, is it this? What's my God? What am I worshiping? Is it this or is it this? When you come to the place where you're forced to choose one or the other, you'll find out which one's your God. Yeah. And that happens repeatedly in the Bible. Exodus 33. Uh, you don't have to turn. I'm going to sh- read a, a lot of verses, so... Um, if you want to turn, you can, but we're going to go through 12 or 13. So Exodus 33, this happens. God says to Moses, go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you lest I consume you on the way. For you are a stiff, stiff necked people. When the people heard this, this disastrous word, they mourned and no one put on his ornaments. And then Exodus thirty three fourteen, jumping ahead, this is Moses' response. And he said, this is God, uh, sorry, 15. And he said to him, this is Moses, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? So here in Exodus, God literally gives them the choice. He says, I'll give you the land. I'll send an angel. I'll clear out all the the inhabitants. But I'm not going to go with you. And he calls it the land of milk and honey there. You can have the land of milk and honey, but I'm not going. And what does Moses say? Then I don't want to go. I want to stay out here in the desert with you rather than have the land. Don't send us up if you're not going to go with us. And so there became a, t- a situation where God forced a choice. Is, is your God, your comfort, your land, your success, your, all these good things that I'm going to give you, or is it me? And, we, and he had to make a choice. And at that moment, he's in the wilderness And he's looking off in the distance and he sees the good life just over the hill, just over the horizon. And he has to decide, do I want to stay here where I'm at? Give up that good land looking ahead so I can have God? Or do I want to give up God and go to the good land? 
And he chooses God. Why? Because God is his God. He worships God. He bows before God. He wants God. He thinks God is worth more than all that the world has to offer. And so you see, it's worship by comparison. He's comparing the goodness of God to the goodness of the land. And he says, God is better. I'll give up all the land if I can have God. I'll stay in the wilderness. Now, Deuteronomy 8, we just read, and it's the opposite. It's the same choice, this ultimate choice between God and the good life. It's just reverse. They've already got it. They have the good land. They're living in the land of milk and honey. And they've got all these, they've built good houses. Here they are. They're sitting in the good land. And what happens? It's not this choice of a moment. You choose right now whether you want God or the land. It's slowly, over time, enjoying all these good things. And over time, they forget God. That's what he says here. He says, it's the warning. Take care lest you forget God. When your stomach's full, when you've got a good head, when you're sitting in your nice house and all your flocks have prospered, take care lest you forget God. So this is the same choice, but it's a slower choice from the other direction. They've got the good things and slowly they forget God and they start loving, worshiping, and bowing to all these other things that becomes their God, and God slowly drifts by the wayside. We don't want that either. Something squeezes out God. It's the same comparison, worship by comparison. You can stand in the wilderness and say, God's better than the good land. But you also need to, if, you have, if you're in the good land, if you've built a good house, if, you're, if your fridge is full, you need to be able to say, God's better even though I already have all this. Both. Same thing, worship by comparison, Jesus in Matthew 4. Remember what Satan says to him? Bow down and worship me. There's the word bow. Remember bow, the idea of bowing for worship. Worship me. And Satan says to Jesus, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth. Remember what Jesus says back? You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. So we see that same idea there of the connection between bowing and serving and worship. Satan uses the word bow, Jesus uses the word serve, and they're both talking about this idea of worship. But Jesus says, you're going to give me all the kingdoms? I'm supposed to worship God only. He has the choice. All the kingdoms, he can, he can forfeit the cross. He doesn't have to go to the cross to, you know, to have all nations bow down. Uh, and, and be given to him, presented to him, like Psalm 2 says, he can, you know, forego that by, by worshiping Satan. He doesn't want to do it, does he? It's a moment of choice. Satan will do that to you too, get you in a place where you have to choose, try and lure you out from worshiping God. Think about, let's all turn to this one, Philippians 3. Philippians 3. This is Paul. We're talking about worship. Ultimate. Ultimately, we have one thing we worship. We're talking about how it's, it's a choice. It's a comparison. Is God better or is everything else better? And this is kind of the, in my mind, the the passage that illustrates it the best. Philippians 3, 7. Paul says, Whatever I had gained, 
I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So here Paul has everything in the world on two sides of a scale. He says, I count all things, everything that the world has to offer, put it on one side of the scale, and you put Jesus on the other side, and you have to make a choice, which one's better? And he says, all the stuff of the world, everything the world has to offer, that's rubbish. I count it all as trash compared to knowing Jesus. He's comparing everything the world has to offer with Jesus. And what is he saying? Which one does he worship? Which one's his God? Which one is better? He's saying Jesus is better. Jesus is much, much better. So much better that this one side with everything on it, I'm not even going to say Jesus is, is a lot better. I'm not going to say Jesus is um, significantly better. I'm going to say that this whole side is garbage. There's no decision. Jesus is better. Jesus is infinitely better. And so this is the idea of worship by comparison. And if we want to be Christians, we have to have this. I mean, this is what it is to be a Christian. It's to say, I want Jesus. Whatever I have to give up, everything I have to give up, I want Jesus. He's better. Jesus is better. But here's the problem. Imagine if this is the only side that I had. Okay, I'm going to kind of exaggerate it to highlight it. But imagine this idea, worship by comparison, is the only way that I live my life. So imagine I walked into my house, and I look at the wood floors, which are beautiful, and I say, these wood floors are garbage compared to Jesus. And, I, and there's a fire going in the fireplace. I sit down on the couch, and I say, that fire is garbage compared to Jesus. And I sit down to eat dinner with my wife, and there's some hot bread on the table, and I break it open, and steam rises out of it, and I put some in my mouth, and I say, this is bread is garbage compared to Jesus. And then I hug my daughter, and I kiss my wife, and I say, I just want you to know, you're both garbage compared to Jesus. <laughs> and I lay on the soft couch, and I say, this couch is garbage, and I pick up a nice book, and I say, this book, this book is garbage compared to Jesus. And I listen to Nat King Cole sing Away in a Manger. And I say, Nat King Cole has a good voice, but he's garbage compared to Jesus. You get the point. That's not a balanced view. Is that true? Is that, is that necessary? Yes. If I want to go to heaven, I can't say anything compares to Jesus. But that's not the whole view, is it? That's not the way we live the Christian life. That's only half the picture. So how do we relate other than this, right? I feel like for me personally, I can just tell you, maybe this will help you understand me. This is the way I became a Christian. Someone pointed this out in a sermon. My wife sent me a sermon and it's laid all this out. People in the Bible love God more than anything else. And then he asked at the end, he went through verse after verse after verse, 
Psalm 73, Whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth I desire besides you. He said, why don't we love God like that? And I realized, I don't love God. I love my stuff more. I love movies more. I love myself more. And God saved me. And so for me, this is an emphasis, and the reason is it's how God saved me. It means so much to me. I thought I was a Christian. I went to church. I read my Bible, and I prayed. But in the end, I loved all that stuff more than God. And so it means a lot to me, and so I think I overemphasize it, maybe. Um, And so I just want to put that out there. And maybe you can understand if this saved your soul from hell, I mean, it would mean a lot to you. But there's another side. There's another side to it. There's all these commands here. And it's not only worship by comparison. We don't always put everything that we see in a scale and Jesus on one side and it on the other side and say, I reject it, it's worthless. There's other commands in the Bible and we can actually see it here in Deuteronomy 8. Look what it says here in Deuteronomy 8. He goes through this list. It's, it's got all these good things. It's got the milk and the, and the honey. There's vines. There's fig trees. There's pomegranates. There's a, it's a land of olive trees. And then look at verse 10. And you shall eat and be full. And you shall bless the Lord your God. Why? Bless Him? Because He's, he's so good and the rest is garbage. That's true, but look what it says. Bless the Lord your God for the good land that He has given you. So there's worship by comparison. We actually see it earlier in this passage. We already talked about it. We fear God. Ultimately, we do whatever He says. And yet, there's worship by recognition of good things that God has given. So you say, God... You are better than the land. I would give up the land. If, I, if the choice was between you and the land, I'd give up the land. You're better. And yet, if we have the land, if God's given us milk and honey and full stomachs, what does He want us to do? He wants us to worship by recognition. God, this gift is from You. You've given me this good gift, and You're so good. We love You. We bless You. You're a wonderful God. So let's just look. These are the two categories that I want to get in your mind. The, um, the, this idea really, Garrett recommended a book to me on worship called, um, actually the name of it slips my mind, but uh, it's by a guy named Joe Rigney. And he calls these things a little bit different than I'm going to call them. He calls them indirect Godwardness and direct Godwardness. But what he means is we're worshiping God directly or there's a mediating thing between me and God and I'm thanking him for that or I see God in that. Well, what I'm I'm saying is it's worship by comparison. So we're saying God is better than everything the world has to offer or worship by recognition. There's that thing. There's something God's given you. There's something in your life, and you're saying, God, this is good, and it's a reflection of you. This is good, and it's coming from you, and I worship you. So let's look at some of those passages. We looked at the comparison passages. Now let's look at the worship by recognition passages. First uh, Timothy, if you'll turn with me to First Timothy, 
We're going to do a couple verses in 1 Timothy, first in chapter 4 and then in chapter 6. First Timothy chapter four, verses four and five. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. So here God's made these things. Are they good? Are they garbage or are they good? He says they're good. They're good. And how should we receive them? We should receive them with thanksgiving to God. Worship by recognition. Now turn to chapter 6 with me, 1 Timothy 6, 17. As for the rich in this present age... Charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. So there's the worship by comparison. Where's your hope set? Where's your ultimate hope set? Is it on the stuff, the riches, or is it on God? It says set it on God. But let's keep going. Who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So here we see worship by recognition. Not only does God give us himself, which is the ultimate, he gives us other things too, to enjoy it says. He gave it to be enjoyed. Now, if our goal in life is to glorify God in everything, there has to be a way that we take in something that God has given us, we enjoy it, and it still comes back to Him as worship. It's pretty amazing here. I'm just going to read you a few things from Ecclesiastes as well. Think about this idea. Some of these statements are really shocking. He, God, has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. Yet, so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them, that's man. What's, nothing, what's there nothing better for man to do than to be joyful, to do good as long as they live, and that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in his toil. This is God's gift to man. That's surprising to me. There, listen to it again. He says uh, later on in Ecclesiastes, I commend joy, for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful, for this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. Nothing better again, he says. Later on, 
Light is sweet and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Well, that's surprising. I mean, he's saying, under the sun, there's nothing better for man than to enjoy what God has given him. But he has the ultimate sense as well. He says, but don't forget, you're going to meet God. And all that we have here, all that you've done, you're going to be judged for everything you've done. So on the one hand, you should enjoy what you have. On the other hand, don't forget the ultimate purpose, God. Don't forget who you're accountable to. So here we are. We've got these two sets of commands. We need to worship by recognition. God's above everything else. He's better. If we had the choice between everything the world had to offer and God, we'd choose God every time. And yet, we have things. We have everyone here right now has worldly things, good things. What do we do with those? We've got these commands that we just read. I'll summarize some of them. If a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. Paul says in Philippians, rejoice always. Nothing is better than to eat and drink and be joyful and take pleasure in all his toil. It says foods God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. We've got all these commands Choose God above everything and yet enjoy God and what He's given us. They're, they're just as real. We have to live both. We can't just choose one or the other. We need to rejoice always. We need to be thankful in everything. So we've got these two categories in, in our mind. And there's a danger on both sides. So let's just acknowledge that. There's a danger of acknowledging one command over the other. Emphasizing one command over the other. Have no gods before me. Worship and serve him only. Don't set your hope on riches. What's the danger there? The danger is to see that these things can be turned into idols and you reject them. I reject food because food could be turned into an idol. I reject pleasure that God has given me because that could be an idol. I reject marriage because marriage could turn into an idol. I reject riches because riches could turn into an idol. That's a danger to go one way, to go, the, to, go to one extreme. And, and Paul talks about that in 1 Timothy. He calls that doctrine of demons, specifically people who teach that you certain foods can't be enjoyed, that they should reject marriage. He said it's not true. God gave all things, made all things to be enjoyed. What's the danger from the pulpit? For me, it, from, what's the danger of me emphasizing that side, the side of God and the world, putting them on a scale and God is better? The danger is to make people feel guilty when they watch TV and it could be perfectly legitimate. To give them the idea that a Christian can't play video games with their kids and enjoy it. 
to give the idea that legitimate things that please God don't. And I don't want to do that. I, I don't want you to just have the one idea. I want to have a balance. What's the danger on the other side? The commands to worship God by recognition. To see the good things, receive them with thanksgiving and glorify God for them. The danger on that side is to soften the first. To soften that there's, there has to be only one thing that you worship. The danger is to throw yourself into the good gifts God has given you. Into the world that he's made, the good world that he's made. And stop being scared it might become an idol. Become desensitized to sin. You get so caught up in the idea, God gave me this good gift. I can watch TV and enjoy it and it's not sin. And you throw yourself into it to the place where you're desensitized to sin. Where you're watching things that a grown man shouldn't, shouldn't watch, let alone kids. And it dishonors God. What's the danger from the pulpit? The danger is to encourage people in an idol. To encourage people that have an idol and that they don't need to worry about it. I'll give you an example. So if you, the last message was basically the comparison idea. What's better, God or TV, you know? The danger is somebody says, well, are you saying a Christian can't watch TV? No, of course not. I'm not saying a Christian can't watch TV. The danger is that there's somebody who has a TV idol, and it's no question, you know. They spend 10, 20 times as much time watching TV as they do praying and reading their Bible, and then they feel fine. Oh, see, he said a Christian can watch TV. And that's a real danger in our, in our culture. We don't want either, though, do we? We, we want the balance. Not that there really is a balance in one way. We need to do both. They're not one against the other, but we can one emphasize one over the other. We want both to increase. So let's think about what we're saying here. We're saying on the one hand, all these good gifts God has given us, enjoying them is not worshiping God, but it can be. Enjoying them is not worshiping an idol, but it can be. And it will become one or the other. So let's do it. Let's talk specifically. Watching TV is not worshiping God, but it could be. Watching TV is not worshiping an idol, but it could be. And it's going to become one or the other. Eating good food is not worshiping God, but it can become that. How? When we receive it with thanksgiving and say, God, you are so good. You made this. You gave this to me. I'm so thankful to you. Eating food is not worshiping an idol, but it could be. If it becomes bigger to you than God, if it becomes the thing you're living for, Marriage is not, is just enjoying marriage 
is not worshiping God, but it can become that. Marriage, enjoying marriage, is not worshiping an idol, but it could become that. Let's say it a different way. Choose a different example. Kids are a wonderful gift from God. Kids are a worthless, worthless substitute for God. Do you see? We have to have both. They're wonderful. I'm so thankful for my daughter. I'm thankful for the joy it brings into my life. She is worthless, worthless, worthless substitute for God. She cannot substitute God in my life. And we can put every good gift, we can say that for every good gift. TV, our homes, our church, our friends, our wives, our husbands, our phones. We, and we've got to... We've got to have both increase, don't we? It's not one or the other. I want to see time on my couch reading books to my daughter as a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful gift from God. More wonderful every day. I want to worship Him more every day for the good gifts He's given me. Same for the food that I eat. All these things, I want to worship Him more. And yet... I want God to be getting bigger and bigger and bigger in my mind so that more and more and more I could say, yes, this is great, but it doesn't compare with God. I can have both. I can believe both. It's like when I show my class, I'll give you an example, a real world example. When I show my class a movie, we just watched a movie that was kind of teaching empathy and it was good. It was a good movie. And it was a wonderful, wonderful gift from God. And I honestly believe that I enjoyed the movie more than all the kids. You know, kids complained about the movie. <laughs> and I, well, maybe this is a bad example. I, what I said was, you're right, let's, let's do a worksheet out of the book. Let's, this, you're right, let's not watch a movie, let's do a worksheet out of the book. And they decided it was okay. <laughs> But the reality is they didn't enjoy it that much. To them, it was just a distraction. They were just happy not to do work. To me, it was more than a distraction. It, was, it had a good message. It was teaching that you should love others as you love yourself. You shouldn't treat others like they're less than you. And afterwards, we had to talk about it. And I enjoyed it more than they did. I laughed harder than they did. But you know what? At the same time, I thought the movie was more worthless than they did. They live for it. They're living for entertainment. That's their God. And I thought, I thought during the movie, this is a worthless God. How could you live your life? This is what you're living for? Just sitting in front of the TV all day? So at the same time, I saw it as better than they saw it. And I saw it as more worthless than they saw it. Why? Because I'm seeing both through the lens of God. Yeah. I'm seeing, wow, this movie is good and it resonates deeper with me than it does with you because I'm seeing God in the movie. I'm seeing that God created all people equal. And yet, I'm seeing this movie is worthless without God. This isn't worth living for. And I want that to grow in me in every area. 
not just movies. I pick on movies because that's we live in an entertainment culture. I want it to grow with everything. We see both these things in the songs we sing, don't we? And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Remember that? We don't sing that here, do we? We do, okay. Uh, That's in the Baptist hymnal. And I didn't, sometimes we don't sing the songs out of the Baptist hymnal. Um, The things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. That's the comparison view of worship. It's saying, look, compared to God, the things of earth, they aren't so good as I thought. I used to be living for these things. I used to live for people to give me compliments or whatever. Now that's not so good. I do the opposite. I dress so people won't notice me. (laughs) Why? Because I know God now. I don't need other people's approval. I've got God. I've got God's approval through His Son. These things that were awesome to me, are they're strangely dim. And yet, we sing other things. This is my Father's world. He shines in all that's fair. All nature sings and round, round me rings. So which is it? Is, is nature getting more dim? Or is it getting brighter and greater? It's both. It's getting more dim in comparison to God. And it's getting greater because in the world we see, we see God in it. And we say, God, how good you are to give me honey. How good you are to give me bread. How good you are to give me a home, heat in my house. How good you are to give me a job, give me work to do. And so, both. And we want both to increase a thousand percent. I do. I want, I want, Whatever the scale is right now in my mind, the world versus all the world has to offer versus Jesus, and Jesus is so much better, I want Jesus to look 10 times better a year from now or 10 years from now. And yet, I want the other side to increase too. I want to love, it sounds so crazy, I want to love my couch more and my bed more and my home more for God's sake. See the goodness that God is in giving it to me and showing me of himself in it more next year than I do this year. So how do we apply this to our life? I hope it's obvious, but I want to acknowledge that different people are in different areas of this spectrum here today. I mean, there's some of you, I'm sure, that watch way too much TV or eat too much or are wanting a husband or a wife too much and you need to hear God's better and there are some of you and I think I would fall into this category that you're coming out of living for those things and so you've said for years TV's trash compared to Jesus and it is but what we you might need to hear is yeah, but there's some things on TV that aren't sinful, like a nature documentary that you could watch and worship God and enjoy Him, and it's pleasing to Him. And what we need as a church is to understand both sides. That if 
if you are coming from one perspective, give some grace. And if you're coming from the other perspective, perspective, give some grace. That we, if I tell you I watch TV, you have no idea whether that's right or wrong. You have no idea whether I'm making it a God or whether I'm using it to worship God. Unless you hear more. But for me, in my heart, I have a tendency. A tendency one direction or the other. We don't want to begin to think we've got the balance. We know exactly. Some of you might need to, uh, I keep picking on TV, but it's the best analogy really. Some of you might need to limit your TV and say, you know what? The most of the TV I watch really isn't about enjoying God or worshiping God or living for God. So I'm going to limit it. And some of you might need to say, you know what? I need to stop working and every week at least aim to sit down on the couch with my wife and spend some time with her and and just relax and, and watch something clean that honors God and enjoy it and thank God for it because I don't do that enough. I don't know what it is for you. You're going to have to pray about it and ask yourself, God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to apply this? You know, ask yourself questions like, in my life, are there things that I'm doing that aren't for the glory of God? What is it? Just I, This week, I sat down on my couch, and I, made, I asked God, God, I just want to make a list here. Would you help me? What things in my day am I doing just out of habit that are just for me, that aren't about enjoying you, and that aren't glorifying you? And I wrote four things down. And things like checking my phone too much or things at work, you know, how I talk to the kids, getting annoyed with when, when a kid doesn't understand or, or acts a certain way. I, I just would encourage you to do that. Think about it. Ask God to help you. Maybe it's not TV. Maybe it's a friend. I mean, think about this. This is, one, this is one of the other things I put down. To make it through the Christian life, I can't be working 24-7. I can't. I'm not going to make it. I don't have the endurance. That's not how God made human beings. He gave me all these things to enjoy. So I, I realized, you know what? I really don't have friends anymore. I used to have time to get together with people and talk to them. They know what's going on in my life. I would tell them this and that. And I just don't have time, haven't made time or had time for that in a long time, in the last year or so. And I don't get together with people regularly. And I need to. I need to say, you know what, God, this is for your glory. You made friendship. It's a good gift from you to be enjoyed. I want to get together. I want to say, you know what, I'm going to try and get together with somebody once a week if I can and just enjoy being with them, praise God for them, and enjoy the time. And... Maybe that's what you need to do too. I don't know. It could be the opposite. Maybe you spend too much time with friends. Let's summarize here and close. The point is this. Either way, no matter what it is, we're doing it and our goal is to worship God. To worship Him more. Both by comparison, He's so much better than everything the world has to offer. 
If I have to give up this friend to know God, I'll do it because God's better. And yet, if I have this friend, if I have a friend that I can sit down and it's just so enjoyable and I enjoy talking to them, I can say, God, thank you for so-and-so. Thank you so much for them. They add so much to my life. I know it's a gift from you. We want both. Let's pray together. Lord, just this was a lot, and I just pray that it would be helpful and clear. Pray if there's anything I said that wasn't right or balanced, that people would just forget it. I pray that you'd help us, Lord, this week to worship you more. You're so good. You're a good God. You deserve our praise and our worship. You deserve our service. Would you, would you help us? Amen.